0: Hi, Parsha fans. This is Josh Cross, the executive producer of Parsha in Progress. Due to some scheduling decisions the first time through the Parsha cycle, Dove and Abby are going to be off for two consecutive weeks. Rather than leave your feed empty, however, I figured I'd give you a taste of another tablet podcast you might be interested in. It's called Take One. It's hosted by Unorthodox's Leah Leibowitz, and it's our idea of a Dafyomi podcast for a broader audience. For those of you who are avid tablet readers, or at least up to date on Unorthodox, you'll know that Daf Yomi, the seven and a half year cycle of reading one page of Talmud a day, has just restarted, and lots of people want to get in on it. Of course, Parsha in Progress host Rabbi Dov Linzer has his own completely different kind of Daf podcast that Liel himself listens to. Liel's a fan of Dove's work because it's a deep and studious podcast, almost like the Ivy League version of Dafyomi podcasts. However, if like most people, you're completely new to Dafyomi, our 10-minute dive into how it's relevant with a host of voices from across the spectrum of observance is for you. The Talmud is basically the owner's manual for Judaism and is made up of two parts, the Mishnah and the Gemara. The Mishnah, published around 200 CE, is the first major work of rabbinic literature and was the attempt to write down the oral traditions from the Second Temple period so they wouldn't be lost. The Gemara has two versions, the Jerusalem and Babylonian, and was written and published between roughly 350 and 500 CE. This also means that there are two versions of the Talmud, although in general when someone says Talmud, they're referring to the Babylonian or Talmud Bavli. The Gemara is made up of arguments about the Mishnah and how these practices and ideas should actually work. All that said, what was truly interesting to me, and a lot of you I think as well, is how, regardless of how we see the world and how observant we are, the debates of our ancestors are actually still pretty relevant to our daily lives. Also, as we hope to show you, the Talmud belongs to all of us, Orthodox and atheists, men and women. To that end, our aim is to keep each episode around 10 minutes and give you one or two major insights from the page that will help you make sense of it all, together with a few helpful explanations on the rabbis and their discussions. In a true pluralistic spirit, episodes will feature guests from across the spectrum of observance, from Orthodox rabbis who are Talmudic scholars, to absolute beginners who bring their fresh and relevant perspectives on the page. Even though people typically read a page of Daf Yomi each day, our podcast only runs five days a week, Monday through Friday, which means sometimes we'll have to double up on pages. In each episode, we'll provide a link in the show notes to a great online translation of the Daf, so you don't need to buy any expensive books. All you really need to bring is the internet in 10 minutes a day. Oh, and as you can imagine, the show will frequently welcome a host of other favorite tablet folks, like the world's newest and most talked-about Talmudic master, Stephanie Butnick. You can find Take One anywhere you find your other tablet podcasts, including at tabletmag.com. And now here's the first episode of Take One.
1: There's are some books like War and Peace or Ulysses or In Search of Lost Time that a lot of us have always wanted to read but are sort of intimidated by because they're big and complicated and long. If you're Jewish or interested in anything Jewish, that book for you is probably the Talmud. You know, we all read the Bible at one point or another, but the Talmud is just strange. First of all, there are many volumes to it. Second of all, when you open it, the page looks like nothing else you've seen. It has text in the middle and commentary running all around, looking like some crazy predecessor to the internet page with a lot of hyperlinks all over the place. This is why we have a wonderful custom called Daf Yomi. It's Hebrew for one page a day. And it means that Jews all over the world, religious and secular, read just a page of Talmud a day. The cycle overall takes seven and a half years to complete. Some of us have done that already, but a lot of us are just curious. And so we figured out it will be a pretty good idea to start a podcast meant for, well, everybody, really. The idea isn't to make you a Talmudic scholar it isn't to really dive into the complexities and intricacies of the page. The idea here is to take 10 or 15 minutes every day, something you could listen to, maybe while you're walking the dog or making dinner or commuting to or from work or school, and give you just a little taste of one question, one issue that's on the page that day. Each week, We'll take the seven pages of Talmud and give it to you in five daily installments running Monday through Friday. And because the Talmud is wonderfully chaotic, with so many voices arguing about so many things, we figured it'd be a really good idea to bring in a lot of diverse voices into this conversation. Sometimes you'll hear me in conversation with very scholarly and studious rabbis who really school me on the meanings and nuances of what's on the page, and sometimes we'll bring people whose life and experiences and expertise just happen to fit the subject we're talking about that day. That's because... Reading the Talmud should really be, to use the old cliche, all about the journey, not the destination. I'm not a rabbi. I'm embarking on this journey with all the fear and the anxiety and trepidation that you might feel if you've just opened up a Talmud page for the first time. But the point is to just dive right in and let this beauty of this ancient Jewish text guide you. You could just listen along, or if you want to read the text, which is always a good idea, you could go to safaria.org that's S-E-F-A-R-I-A, which is a wonderful site that gives you a whole version of the Talmud, both in Hebrew and in English translation. So without further ado, let's jump into the first page of the first tractate, Masechet Barachot, page 2. Hi, welcome to Take One. I'm your host, Leah Liebowitz, and today we'll be reading the very first page of the very first tractate, Brachot. Here it is, page two. So, I could not imagine starting this audacious journey, really, with with anyone else's rabbinic guidance. Hello, Rabbi Tovit Bashevkin.
2: Leah, what a joy to be sitting here together in front of our old friend, The Talmud.
1: Let's talk a little bit about what this thing really is. The word Talmud itself is, like everything else in Judaism, it's kind of complicated, right? What is it that we're studying here?
2: So the Talmud is a commentary on the Mishnah. The Mishnah is divided into six orders and is basically a collection of all of the oral laws that are tenuously derived from the biblical text. But, and here's the fun part... Nowhere in the Mishnah does it actually say, or rarely does it actually say, where in the Bible do these laws come from, which is extraordinarily significant. Meaning, if I was collecting laws that came from the Bible, I would want it to be like, A, very sequential, and tell me this verse, and this is the oral tradition based on this verse, or whatever it was. It doesn't do any of that. It's detached. See, that's that's the thing
1: that always um, kind of... Enchanted me really about studying Talmud because when you look at the background of this, right here are these rabbis called Tanaim, and they're and they're the first ones who are writing the Mishnah, which is the first compendium of oral law, um, and they're doing this more or less around the same time when the temple is destroyed, right? Exactly. And so and so here you are, and instead of living Judaism as it's been lived for generations. Uh, through worshiping at the temple, they realize they need to do something else now to preserve this religion because there's no more temple, right? The temple has just been destroyed. Uh, And so they go ahead and put it all in a book, which in of itself is a really radical thing, but not just put it in a book as in, well, here are the laws, because I think they realize if you just put a book of laws together, people may or may not follow. But instead of doing that, they captured
2: their arguments the chaos of exile looms over every single page of the talmud (laughs) you can still like it you 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 can see it the temple smoldering and in the temple world i guess things were more sequential more obvious more explicit in that prophetic world of the temple and every page of the talmud i mean just think of the english word when you call something talmudic
1: it's, you don't mean it as a compliment.
2: It's, it's not I wouldn't even call it an insult. It means it's winding, it's complicated, it's not straightforward. That is it, that's reflecting the world of exile.
1: And so generation 1 those Tanaim put together all these all these discussions in the Mishnah. And then comes generation 2, right, the Amoraim. Yes. And they produce the Gemara, which is really what we're studying for the most part when we're studying Dafyomi, which is commentary on the commentary.
2: How's that different? The Talmud is basically the the elaborations of the Mishnah, and like basically fleshing out some of those ideas, but it's also the give and take and the actual conversations. Uh, The analogy that I would offer is, don't think of it like you're reading Supreme Court cases but I heard this from my friend Chaim Seyman. Imagine you were stepping into the Supreme Court chambers as the judges are fighting with each other about how they're going to decide. That's the Talmud. It's not organized in a in a very sequential way. It's a lot of back and forth. It's very self-referential. And even on the first page, they're already making reference to things that are all the way at the end. And it reflects this kind of orality you know, if you would write down, you know, a conversation, you would write down, transcribe a podcast. It, it's it could be fairly hard to follow. Uh, imagine doing that over centuries, and then figuring out a way to compile it into a text. And so, before we
1: even jump into into the first page uh, and and begin this journey, give us give us like one or two tips on on what kind of mindset do you need to be in as you begin your journey through Def Yomi?
2: I think it's yeah. I I think there are there are two kind of dominating things. There's one mindset that you need for Talmud study and there's another mindset that you need for Dafyomi. And those are two separate things. Cause Talmud is a text that's really meant to kind of be hovered over and mince around and and have that patience and resilience to to flesh out each word. And Dafiomi, which literally it's like a page a day, this is the fast track treadmill where you have to learn how to extract Uh, those doses of meaning and purpose that that flash around the page. I think for Talmud in general, you need to have that appreciation of what mindset the Talmud's trying to cultivate. It's trying to cultivate an appreciation when meaning is not obvious and how to derive meaning in a non-obvious world. I think that's the ultimate thing that the Talmud's trying Not to do. Not that
1: we would know anything about living in a time where meaning is <laughs> scant and right?
2: I mean <laughs> But that's that, that that's what this is. You open up the page and imagine living in a world, if you can, where just you don't know who to trust, you don't know what's correct, and you need to construct meaning on your own. That's living in the minds of the Talmud. I think Dafyomi's a different mindset. I think Dafyomi is that metronome, that beat, that cadence of starting to merge the rhythms of your day into the text itself and start to really live with the text. And building that cadence, I think, is the number one most important thing to survive.
1: And so let's begin. Okay. So, the Talmud, you said, is divided into six s'darim, right? Six kind of general thematic portions. And each one of those has its own tractates, right? Tractates that are kind of like books with several chapters in each one. Some are longer, some are shorter, uh, that deal with a particular topic. The first one is brachot, deals with generally the topics of blessings and their correct saying, uh, time, etc.
2: Yeah, like when you say blessings and it starts with, uh, it really starts with the first commandment that you would have if you turned 13 on, on this day or 12 and you became a bar or bat mitzvah. Uh, imagine that you woke up. What would be the first thing you'd be commanded to do? It would be to say the Shema, the evening prayer, the evening prayer of Shema. And that's where the Mishnah begins, and it begins with, uh, with the declaration of Shema, of accepting God as, uh, as your ruler. It's, a little, it's, a, it's an auspicious start right out of the gate.
1: What is very interesting to me, and this is something you taught me, is that this moment, which, which you'd think, you know, this is a seminal moment, this is the beginning of, of the whole thing, um, it begins with this word, me'ematai, from when and, and and you had taught me something very interesting of of all the questions you could ask when you're trying to figure something out the why what who's etc. Beginning with
2: when is not the most obvious choice. I think there's a great deal of significance and an undertone throughout the Talmud going back to this as like an exilic text about the role of time and constructing meaning through time, which is why I believe this is such a significant and notable question. It doesn't begin with the question of where or what, or even why, it asks may amatai from when. It's almost checking the watch. And if you actually look at the six orders of the Mishnah, it starts with Zra'im, which is about the laws of agriculture, then it's Moed, which are the laws of the holidays, Nushim, which is all about marital laws, Nezikin, which is about damages, Kudshim, which is about sacrificial laws in the temple, and Taurus, which is about the laws of purity and impurity. If you take the first letter of each one, and the Maimonides already points this out, it spells the word Zman meaning time nukat was chosen there's an undertime of there's an undertone of time throughout uh, the talmud and i believe the written law is that fixed static feeling of like having a fixed place the oral law is all about time it's all about that exilic experience of trying to figure out when is redemption going to come and when is how do i make sense over the different periods of my life how do i construct meaning out of my days we don't have sanctity uh, in the same way like in temple times so we build that sanctity and sanctuary in time itself
1: right so so this begins literally by asking from when, uh, from what time does one recite Shema in the evening? From the time when the priests enter to partake of their Truma, of their. Uh, how do you describe Truma? The, the evening.
2: Truma was what was um, given by Jews who were eating certain uh, fruits and, and things that was given to the Kohen. Um, and the this priests was, in, in yeah, the ancient temple. To the priests, and this is when the Kohanim were first allowed to take part in those trumos after, uh, you know, becoming pure.
1: So basically, the, the rabbis of the Talmud are asking here, when must I recite Shema at night? And so the first instinct is to say, well, since prayer is some kind of substitute, really, for, for the work that the priests did, then let's see when they used to do their work, and then kind of have our own personal schedules synced up to theirs. Exactly.
2: Right? And I think it's significant, again, coming into that post-Temple era, we're harkening back to that Temple time uh, and, th- and uh, thinking about, what, well, when were things done in the Temple, and now we're, uh, we're going to kind of sync up our daily schedule into that Temple experience.
1: Which which leads me to to the thing that I always thought uh, was was the most kind of charming and and poignant point of of this whole taf, uh which is this. I, I will read now, um, and I'm reading, I should say, the Koren Talmud Bavli, the uh, Adin Steinsaltz oh, version. That's a great one. Which is really, if you're looking for a good book, uh, there are links in this podcast to the Safaria version online, which is fantastic. But if you want a real beautiful book with illustrations. This is a great model. So um, here here is a a tremendous bit of of insight. So Raban Gamliel cites several cases in support uh, of this claim, saying, basically, look, you could do it all night long, right? Because all these offerings in the temple, they used to burn on the altar throughout the night. So really kind of take your time. And then... uh, one other rabbi comes and says, well, well, look, you know, yeah, yeah, technically you could wait until dawn, but if so, why did the sages say that you could only say the Shema until midnight? And it says, adam min ha'avira, In other words, in order to distance a person from transgression, which I found really incredible, right? I mean, r- literally what the, what the scholars, what the rabbis are saying here is, okay, look, technically... If we say, what you do here is just as the priest did in the temple, then yeah, you have all night. But here's, we know people, here's what's going to happen. You're going to come home from work, you're going to be a little bit exhausted, you've worked all day, (laughs) you're going to have a nice lunch, maybe a beer or two, you're going to say to yourself, I'm just going to sit on this couch for like two minutes, maybe watch Netflix for half an hour just to relax, I'll say schmine a bit, next thing you know, you've woken up, it's morning. And you fell asleep the whole night. So he said, "Like we don't want to set you up for failure, therefore we will we will say that we will put this restriction on you, right? We'll say you, you have to do it until midnight because otherwise you may fall
2: asleep." I, I always think, um, you know, when you when you step into that very legalistic thinking, so it's funny that it almost makes reference on the first page. So often when you see people who are like very legalistic and very careful about every detail of halacha, you like. If you took away that one little piece or started a half hour later, like, what's the big deal? like who 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 actually cares? I think of that philosophical problem uh, that they say about a bundle of wheat. Like if you take off one piece of wheat from a bundle, it's still a bundle. Let's say you take away one more. And one more, at what point does the bundle lose its bundle status? That's the same question. You know, a hair falls out. You're not bald. But I think that there's like a holistic point of view that comes out from this, which is like you need to protect the full system, which is going to require you to do more than the minimum. I think that's like a general outlook that overlays all of the very legalistic thinking. Because if you just do the minimum and we just tell you what the floor is, uh, almost like a reductionist legal theory, then you're going to be oversleeping and waving it off, and you're going to be toast. And that's on page one that is telling you this. Like we we know how humans operate. We know how this works.
1: Which I think is also a very good guideline for for modern readers, right? Because I think a lot of a lot of people listening to this podcast right now will probably approach Ataman and say, like, this seems really kind of not particularly relevant to me because it's filled with all these laws that. I don't observe, but but I think what it is here to show is that irrespective of the fact of whether or not you observe these particular laws, there's a very strong logic to this argument that tells you, right, you're human, and therefore your instinct is to slouch on that couch. Your instinct is Netflix and chill. Your instinct isn't to pursue higher planes. Your instinct isn't to kind of like you know, aspired to higher spirituality. We're here to help. We're here to set these restrictions that may seem really weird at first, but are there to distance you from transgression, are there to point you in the right direction.
2: I think on every page, you're going to be finding things that challenge normal human inertia. And it's so interesting that it has that right in the beginning. I think that what Talmudic texts are doing is really, it's introducing a new rhythm of thinking to an otherwise um, inert human mind that's just going to go in a different non-spiritual or non-aspirational dimension. And there's something very aspirational about legalistic thinking, something very normative about how the world could look if people operated this way.
1: Well, uh, here's hoping that this cadence, this rhythm, would, would make a difference in the lives of those listening. Rabbi Byshevkin, thank you so much.
2: Such a pleasure to be here with you.
1: Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed. And join us again tomorrow for yet another page. I'm Leah Ibowitz, and this has been Take One, a production of Tablet Magazine. Our producer is Josh Cross. To find out more about this podcast, go to www.tabletmag.com take one. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, write to us at, at tabletmag.com. I'm your host, Leah Leibowitz, and we hope you join us again tomorrow for another page of the Talmud. Shalom.